Okay, good morning everyone. I want to thank our uh, sponsor, not only for this morning, but uh, very, very generously. My dear friends Becky and Avi Katz have uh, sponsored this entire year's Parsha series in memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, David Menachem Manish, whose neshama should have an aliyah. Very deeply grateful to them for their generous sponsorship. There's still an opportunity to sponsor each uh, particular class underneath the series, but deeply grateful to them for their sponsorship of the uh, whole series. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should shower them with bracha, nachas from their family, and only simchas. This week we have the privilege of beginning the fifth and final book of the Torah, and to study together not only Parshas Dvarim, but the launch, the beginning of Sefer Dvarim. So a very interesting uh, thought, a cute thought, by the Maharal's brother, the Maharal had a brother, Reb Chaim, who said, if you look at the succession, if you look at the order of the names of the parashas and Sefer Dvarim, that in itself is incredible. Musar is a lesson, a formula, a strategy for life. Now Sefer Dvarim, we'll speak about more deeply in a moment, is uh, categorically different than the first four books of the Torah. It's unique. It's different in many ways. But Sefer Dvarim is a powerful, powerful Musar Sefer. It's an amazing, it's the original Musar Sefer. We have wonderful Musar Svarim in our time. Soon we'll transition from the period of darkness, of grieving and mourning, to uh, Elul is rapidly coming upon us. And there's all kinds of Musar Svarim. People have a tradition to learn. Shari Tshuva of Rabbeinu Yonah, Mesil Sisharim of the Ramchal. But we neglect the greatest Musar Sefer, one of the Chamishay Chumshay Torah, which is Sefer Dvarim. Moshe's monologue, Moshe's soliloquy. It is directed to each and every one of us in each and every generation. Rav Asher Weiss quotes from the Chazer of Lublin, points out the opening pasuk, Eila Advar Mashadiber Moshe El Kol Yisrael. These are the words that Moshe spoke. It should have just said El Bnei Yisrael, not El Kol Yisrael. We'll see the Kliyakar asks. We have no record, no evidence that Moshe gathered everyone. Okay, let's go right to the Kliyakar for a moment. The Kliyakar says, Nowhere does the toast the Torah testify or affirm that in fact Moshe addressed the totality of Klal Yisrael. Is it even possible physically? is coming up in January. You can't fit in, what's it called? I was corrected. It's not Giant Stadium anymore. A Jet fan corrected me. What's it called now? MetLife. How many does it fit? 50,000? 90,000. Good, 90,000. Could you imagine the sound systems that are necessary, what has to be coordinated for everyone to be able to hear what's said? That's 90,000. Talking about two to three million people, 600,000 men over a certain age. I asked the Kliyakar, did Moshe really speak these things to everyone? It's physically impossible. It's impossible. And we don't find it in the whole Torah except for here. That Moshe speaks, they bear Moshe al Kol Yisrael. Uba Parshas Hakel Shanamar, here and in Parshas Hakel. Chazal say, Kodem Melech, Menel Advar, and so on and so forth. And the Kliyakar goes into his answer. But the Chazal of Lublin said, Do you know what the Torah is talking about? Moshe didn't address everyone. They were not gathered collectively as one. True, it would be physically impossible. So what is the Torah talking about? Said the Chazal, the Torah is saying, Moshe is addressing not only those who stood before him physically. He's talking to each and every one of us. Al Kol Yisrael. Sefer Dvarim is addressing us 
in every generation and every place across the globe. Say for Dvaram, the words of Moshe, the Musar of Moshe is directed and is instructive, is informative, is inspiring to each and every one of us. Moshe, El Kol Yisrael, we are included in the recipients. We are the beneficiaries, we are the audience to whom Moshe addresses. So said the Maral's brother, Reb Chaim. Said the Maral's brother. Maybe the Maral was Reb Chaim's brother. I don't want to get, you know, between them. But said Reb Chaim of Prague, if you look at the order of the names of this entire Sefer, there's a message. Namely, Eila Hadvarim. Everybody has to put these ideas, these thoughts in our heart. Va'eschanan, and we have to listen carefully. Ekev, why? Re'ei, Shoftim, because when we see that there's a Beisden, there are Shoftim, there are judges in the heavens above and down here on the earth below, then Kiseitse, when we leave this world, and Kisava, we come to the world of truth, Nitzavim will be standing, and Vayelach will be able to go to our true place, to Elichta Gan Eden, Ha'azinu, if we listen carefully, Zosa Bracha, that is the Bracha. So he said, if you just look at the order of the names of the parashiyas themselves, that's a formula for how to live a mindful and a meaningful life. A life of Eladvarim, to pay attention to what really matters, to have our priorities aligned and calibrated properly. To put it in our heart, Ekev, why? Because Re'eh will see Shoftim that we can't just do what we want, where we want. There are consequences to our choices and to our actions. There are Shoftim and Kiseitzeh. And when we get out of this world and Kisavu into the Emma, the world of Emes, Nitzavim will be standing before God and Vayelech in order to go where we want. Ha'azinu, we have to be listening carefully in this world. And if we do, it's a formula for a result of the Zos Habracha. Cute, no? Very cute. Okay, good way to start. Sefer Dvarim, very cute. Okay, Rashi says here, Eila Dvarim Ashadimer Moshe Ako Yisrael. We're on page 938 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. So Rashi says, Moshe's soliloquy, Moshe's monologue, he begins with some feedback. He begins with some constructive criticism. But, but he doesn't just offer them direct. He doesn't beat them over the head. You're wrong. You're icevarfs. You're nothing. You're rejects. You don't listen. You complain. You're miserable. You have no future. You're... He doesn't knock them over the head. Rashi tells us the strategy. It's not just a trip down memory lane. It's not just nostalgia that Moshe says, let's watch the slideshow of our vacation of our 40-year trip through the desert. Why is he showing and mentioning all the different places they traveled together? Because each of these places, there was an incident with elicited the ire, the anger of Hashem. The people disappointed him. The he doesn't say it explicitly. He just says, you remember what happened at the gas station on the road trip? Remember? Nods his head, winks his eyes, lifts his eyebrows. He doesn't say, you remember you complained, you're nothing, you're no good, you always fall back to that. You have no... He just says, you're going into Eretz Yisrael. You're about to build a homeland, you're going to be a microcosm for the world, a model for them to emulate. A world defined by... Torah Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael. You need to know the mistakes of the past in order to be inspired not to repeat them in the future. But instead of saying, as Moshe says, this is my final goodbye, my last speech, instead of giving his last speech and saying, let me list all of your deficiencies, 
he makes allusions, he makes references in order to protect and preserve their dignity. And also we learn from here in order for them to be much more likely to listen. People don't listen to being beat over the head. They listen if it's subtle, if it's nuanced, if it's measured, if it's appropriate, and if it's delivered, most of all, if it's delivered with love. Says Rasha, Kol Yisrael, why does Moshe address everyone? Leave out the Kliyakra's question that physically everyone can't be there and the Chozes answered that it's addressed to all of us. But Rashi says, why is he addressing everyone? Only here and, and the... Uh, Close do we see it? Why here? Says Rashi, because some big knocker, some hotshot's going to say, you let Moshe give you Musr like that? Didn't you point out that he's not perfect? Didn't you answer that it wasn't our fault? Why didn't you stand up and sh- If I were there, I would have told the rat, if I were there, Moshe says, you know what? Let everyone be there. And anyone who has an answer, you have something to say, speak up, speak now, or forever hold your peace. I saw in a uh, beautiful sefer on Chinuch, called Chinuch Malchusai, the following question. On the one hand, these are the tochachos, delivered, preserving the dignity of the Jewish people, listing all the places they went, and alluding to the rebelliousness that took place there. The Gemara in Shabbos, blessed Yudav test tells us about tochacha, lo nechreva Yerushalayim, ele b'shvil shalohachichu zezeh. Why was Yerushalayim destroyed? Why was Yerushalayim devastated, desecrated? Because because people were doing wrong things. They were making mistakes. And you know what? Everyone looked the other way. There was a society of live and let live. It was a society of do what you want, whatever makes you happy. Does it sound familiar? As long as you don't harm another, whatever makes you happy, even if morally and ethically it's harming the fabric of society and the world, whatever makes you happy. Mind your business, do what you want, nobody criticizes anyone else. And because of that, Yerushalayim was destroyed. Because when nobody's giving feedback, no boundaries are set, no expectations are demanded, then people do what they want and you become a morally corrupt society. And the consequence is Yerushalayim, the capital of spirituality. Yerushalayim, the place that houses Hashras Hashkina, the divine presence, because Baruch can't dwell there. So the Nechor of Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim was destroyed. Why? Because everyone looked the other way, and it was a culture, a society that was built on live and let live. However, the Gemara in Yumadav Ches tells us, why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? The Gemara Yuma says, because of baseless hatred. Hatred. It's not a coincidence that we are in the nine days. Two mass shootings, hatred. The word that is, I didn't look at it, I'm sure the most word that's appearing in the news and elected officials more than any is hate. Hate speech, hate crime, hate people, hate, 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 hate groups, hate. And that's exactly the nine days. What led to Khurban is hate, 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 hate. Too bad that the response to all this hate is more hate. And the response to rhetoric is more rhetoric and negativity is more negativity. Nobody is saying the response to hate is love. Loving so much that you confront the hate, but confronting the hate with love. So the Gemara Numa says, why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? What led to the destruction of Yerushalayim? Not tochacha, or the absence of tochacha, but rather 
sinas chinam. And the Sefer asks, isn't it a, isn't a contradiction? If you have sinas chinam, is when you say, you correct people, you're wrong, you criticize, you condemn. So which is it? Was the Mesamikdash destroyed because we didn't give feedback to one another? Or was the Mesamikdash destroyed because we hated one another? We were so quick to give feedback to one another. Which is it? Aren't the two Gemaras that are giving the reason for the destruction, aren't they a contradiction? So he answers, which I'm sure you're all thinking yourselves too, that the truth is they're not a contradiction whatsoever, they're actually a compliment. You see, if you don't give feedback, if you don't manage expectations, if you don't demand greatness, that is an act of sinaschinam. This is so critical to modern day parenting, which is what the Sefer really is addressing, the chinuch in a home. But the parents who say, do what you want, there's no boundaries, there's no rules, there's no restrictions, there's no consequences, there's no accountability, think that they're showering love upon their children. But that's actually sinaschinam. And the chinam, it's for chinam. You're not doing it on purpose. It's not a hate because you really hate the person. You're trying to love them, but it's a love which is expressing itself as hate. To have no expectations, no demands, and to not teach consequences, and to not create a system of feedback and of responsibility is in essence actually not love, but hate. The real ava means that you're willing to give feedback. We've studied together several times in Parshas Vayechi when Yaakov brings his children around his deathbed and he gives them bracha. And what's the bracha? You are impetuous and you need to work on that. You're quick to anger. You got to work on that. You need to have better leadership skills. You got to work on that. And I say, such a bracha I don't need. What kind of bracha is that? That's a bracha? A bracha is parnasa, gezunt, nachas from the children. The bracha is, here's what's wrong with you that you need to work on. And the mafarshim will explain. Yeah. You know, a klala is when you sweep under the carpet somebody's deficiencies and faults and challenges. That's a klala. The bracha is you love them so much you're willing to help them work on it. Now how you deliver it, that's Pasha Tvarim. Moshe Rabbeinu loves them so much that he doesn't clobber them over the head with it. He delivers it with love. The messaging is critically important. But too many people avoid the message altogether. And they think, I'm a loving parent because I let my kid do anything they want. And I never hold them accountable. And when they run into trouble, I bail them out, I helicopter in, and I rescue them. That's not love. That's hate. Love is a willingness. A willingness to get involved, a willingness to give feedback. That is the true love. He says if two people are giving feedback, honest, genuine feedback, constructive, positively delivered feedback, they love one another. And if two people are just letting the other ruin their lives, they in fact don't love them, they hate them. The Kutzker Rebbe says, Kutzker Rebbe says, I love this word. The month we find ourselves in is called the month of? Av. Menachem Av. And the Kotzker says, Menachem, where's the Nechama in Av? Where in the nine days we're counting down to Tishabav, destruction, devastation, genocide, loss, tragedy, exile that we still continue to suffer from. Where's the Nechama that we call the whole month Menachem Av? Says the Kotzker. You know, if you walk by and you see an adult who's reprimanding a child, what do you know about that adult? It's their mother or father. 
It's their grandmother or grandfather. Because a stranger doesn't care enough to reprimand the child. Only a parent cares enough to reprimand the child. So as much as we suffer and struggle in this month of Av, as much as we don't welcome and we don't want what it represents, or to have to fast for it. But the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cared enough to intervene, to intercede, to hold us accountable, to teach us a lesson, that reflects not that He hates us, it reflects that He loves us. How many of us as parents have taken something from a child or grounded a child, and the child, depending on their age, starts screaming, You hate me! I hate you! You say, okay, I don't need you to love me. I have to be your parent. And I'm doing this not because I hate you. I'm doing this because I love you. My children know that since they're young, when they tell me, but all my friends are doing X, Y, or Z, I always say, your friend's parents don't love them nearly as much as I love you. And what did they say? I'm not going to tell you. What did they say then? Or what do they say now? Or what will they say when they're parents? But it's my line. I've been saying it since they're little. Everyone else has a phone. Everyone else can go out. Everyone else can attend the thing. Everyone else can wear this. I say, yeah, their parents don't love you as much as I love, don't love their children as much as I love you, which is exactly the vort. This churban, when we don't give feedback to one another, hold, don't hold our, each other accountable. This churban. And that's sinna. Real ava is the willingness to give tochacha, to give feedback, and to raise people up. I'll tell you one more vort with this, and then we'll move on. Baruch waxes nostalgic and he says, you know, you you were amazing. You followed me into the desert. It was a desert. It was a desolate land. It wasn't planted. It wasn't fertile. And yet you followed me there. First of all, the Rebona Shalom is fantastic because he has a selective memory. Because if you just read Parshas Sefer Bamidbar, one thing you know is that we didn't lovingly follow him and all was honky-dory and bliss. We were miserable, incorrigible, rebellious, and yet he employs intentionally selective memory, which is why we invoke this Pasuk Yom Norayim to remind us we too should have a selective memory. A little amnesia goes a long way to have better relationships with other people. But I saw a Geval de Gavort, I don't remember who said it, a Hasid Shavort, who says, Lech techacharai bamidbar. You know what the Rebbe Shalom says? You know why you're amazing? Because you followed me Ba'eretz, lo zerua. A land that was zarua with low. A land who was planted with low, with the answer no. You see, too many people would only come if the answer to everything was yes. It's not an Eretz Cain zarua. It's an, it's an Eretz low zarua. It's a land which is planted with the answers low. When we followed Kirsch Baruch into the Midbar, he gave us a Torah. And the Torah is filled with a lot of no's. There's a lot of yeses. In fact, there's no more no's than yeses. We'll talk about that another time. More low sases than assays. We have a lot of yeses, but we have a lot of no's. Can't go here, don't look at that, don't taste that, don't listen to that, don't eat that. There's a lot of no's. And many people, not N-O-S-E, N-O. There's a lot of people who would not embrace a lifestyle that was filled with restrictions and boundaries and rules. They want a lifestyle that's only filled with opportunity. And, but we, Akash Baruch says, you know, you followed me into a desert. It was not Cain Zaru, it was Lo Zaru. It was filled with Lo. That's love. Kush Baruch loved us. We love him back. Okay, the rest of the Kliyakar is great. Yeah, you can read the rest of the Kliyakar on your own. It's an important Kliyakar of, of how he gets to it. Okay, let's keep going.
We'll see if we get past the first passage today. So, Seitzvah Dvarim, as I mentioned, is categorically different than the first four books, not just in style, but in origination, or to agree, authorship. That's not Kfira, hear me out. Rabbi Soloveitchik and the Rav Chumash points out that Sefer Shmos, Vayikra, and Bamidbar all begin with the conjunctive letter, Vav, suggesting that each of the first four books are connected to one another. But in contrast, Sefer Dvarim does not begin with a Vav. Furthermore, in Shmos through Bamidbar, Moshe is referred to in third person. But in Dvarim, Moshe almost, speaks, almost always speaks in first person. So in the first four books, or at least once Moshe enters the scene, Shmos, Vayikra, and Bamidbar, Moshe is communicating third person, delivering the message from Hashem. Here in Sefer Dvarim, Moshe is the narrator. It's Moshe's voice, Moshe's speaking. It is the most part repetition of the mitzvahs that were enumerated earlier. Very few new mitzvahs. The Gemara Megillah, Daf Lamed Aleph, refers to Sefer Dvarim as Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah. Now Mishnah, why is it the Mishnah Torah? So the simple understanding is, Mishnah means the repetition of. The repetition of the Torah. The Tariyag mitzvahs, most of them that have already been communicated earlier, Moshe now repeats them Moshe now reviews them. But Basilevichik suggests something different. He said the word Mishnah is derived from the word Shinun, to study, to train one's mind. Where do we see that in the Torah and the Shema? Vishinantam Levanecha. The root of the word Vishinantam is to learn, to train one's mind, to teach one's child. Sefer was originally given as Mishnah. It was Torah Shabbat Only later, on the last day of Moshe's life, do we read that Moshe finished writing these words in a scroll, in uh, Perak Lamed Aleph, the last Perak here of Sefer Dvarim. Dvarim, which to that point of the status of Torah Shabbat Peh, only then became part of Torah Shabbat Sav. And the phrase Mishnah Torah therefore means the Mishnah, which is also Torah. The Mishnah, the Torah Shabbat Peh, which became part of the Torah Shabbat Sav. So this is Moshe, first person narrator, not third person communicating from Hashem. It's Moshe's monologue, it's a soliloquy, it's his speech. It originally was... It's the original Torah Shabbat Peh that Moshe gave the people. Only at the end, when the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, record it and include it and publish it, did the Mishnah become Torah. And that's why it's called Mishnah Torah. And he says the Rav, Sefer Dvarim has double sanctity. It's both Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh. The first four books, Hashem addresses the community. Sefer Dvarim, it's Moshe addressing. First four books, Moshe is the medium. Moshe serves in the role of the prophet, repeating verbatim what Hashem told him. But Dvarim... Moshe is not a prophet, but a teacher. Moshe Rabbeinu gets the status of Moshe, not just Moshe Hanavi, but Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's the next Pasuk. Hoa Moshe's Be'er Satorah Azos. Be'er Satorah, an explanation of the Torah, Moshe is beginning to play the role of a Rebbe. So we're transitioning from a Torah She'bechsav, Kodesh Baruch Hu, the authority from above, being communicated through a system. This is the beginning of Mesorah. Moshe Rabbeinu is the father of the Mesorah. He becomes Rabbeinu. He's not just the Navi who is echoing the words of God. He is Rabbeinu himself. He is transmitting the Mesorah, Mishneh Torah. So the first four books are Torah, the Torah Shebechsav. And the fifth book is a combination. It's Mishneh Torah. It is Mishneh, it's Torah Shebechsav. But it's also Torah. It's also Torah Shebechsav. And it's because of that, that you have a practical consequence. It's a halachic implication. Gemara and Baruchos Dav Chafalov says, 
even those who hold that you can't learn smuchim in the Torah, just because you have two concepts juxtaposed one next to the other, when you have two ideas that appear next to the other, juxtaposition, they're juxtaposed, so it's a machlokas. Do we learn? We learn from everything, vowels and crowns and formulations and grammar. We extrapolate and derive halachas from everything. So what about juxtaposition? Do we extrapolate and derive halachas just from the way they appear next to each other? So it's a machlokas. But even according to those who believe you cannot derive law from juxtaposition in the first four books of the Torah, they agree, says the Gemara Brachos, that in Sefer Dvarim, everybody learns smuchim. Everybody learns from juxtaposition. Why? Because Moshe alone juxtaposed specific psukim as Torah Shabbat So the first four, psukim, four books, you can't use that tool, but in the fifth book you can, because it has this quality of Torah Shabbat That is an important, important uh, distinction. Halacha Lamaisa. Okay, Parsha continues. The parasha continues. So we list all these places. Like the Chazav Lublin said, that the Musar of, of Dvarim is for all of us. There's an amazing Medrash. Medrash tells us, the Gemara and Brachas quotes, what is implied by the words Di Zahav. Di Zahav. Is that a place? All these others are places. What is Di Zahav? So the Medrash says, Rav Yanai, in his base Medrash, they learn, Moshe said to Kodesh Baruch Hu, the silver and the gold, the Zahav that he gave Klal Yisrael, in abundance. Remember, we left wealthy. We borrowed from the Egyptians, which really was our way of being compensated, reparations for 210 years of slavery, and we left wealthy. We had all this gold, Zahav. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Kodesh, says to Kodesh Baruch Hu, you know about that Zahav that you gave Klal Yisrael? Die! It's enough. Stop. They have enough. Because that's what caused them to commit the sin of the Egel HaZahav. Money is a wonderful blessing. It's an incredible gift. You could do great things with it. But it's also a challenge and can be a curse. Materialism, wealth, money, it skews priorities. It invites fighting and conflict, compromises a person's integrity. So Moshe says, die. The money is enough because look what's happening. The money's not empowering, the money's corrupting, the money's complicating. And look at the Egel Azov that happened as a result. So the Gemara there says, Vidi Zahav, this is an allusion to the Egel, the Chaita Egel, and that episode. Zahav, die. Di Zahav, it was enough. You had enough when it came to the, when it came to the wealth. Why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu give them that wealth if it could cause such problems? Why would he do so? Because the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says this is a mushal. It's compared to a man who had a son. And he bathed him and anointed him and fed him and gave him to drink. And he gave him a pouch of money on his neck. And he sat him down at the entrance of a brothel. Says the Gemara, how could that father expect that that child's not going to sin? That's the Gemara. You position your child, you make him beautiful, handsome, you make him smell good, you give him a, a stack of cash, and you put him at the house at the entrance of a place of ill repute, and then what do you expect he's going to do? Have a chavrusa? Go somewhere else? Zog Tehillim? What do you think he's going to do? So Moshe says to Rebona Shalom, you gave them all this wealth, what did you think was going to happen? What did you think was going to happen? What's the Kodesh Baruch Hu's answer? 
So why did he, why did we have the wealth? That's how the Gemara says with that mashal. Vidizahav. That's why Moshe says it's enough. Cut it off. So what would be Hashem's answer? Think about it. Let me know what you suggest. Avaiter. Acharas ayom echor derech haseir at kadesh barnei avayi barabbe mishana ba'ashtei asachodesh be'echad achodesh diber Moshe b'nei Yisrael kechol asher tziva Hashem also alayim. He told him everything. Acharei akosu asichon melech amori asher yisrael bechesbon. Ezog melech abashan asher yisrael ba'ashtros be'adrei. You now have a track record. You now have a precedent. You now have a pattern of triumph and success. You don't have to fear. You've been able to defeat Og melech abashan and sichon melech amori. Moshe communicated, he transmitted the Torah. What exactly is the Torah? What did he give? Rashi says he taught the Torah in 70 languages, which is peculiar because he's with a people, most of whom were born in the desert. The majority of those who left Egypt have died by now. How many languages do you think they spoke? Why did he have to say it in 70 languages to a people who all spoke the same one language? Unless, again, we apply the Chazev Lublin's beautiful insight that Torah speaks to us in any language, in any place, in any culture, in any society, at any time. That the Torah is timeless. Timeless. This is so core and central to what we believe. And so sadly lost on so many others who think the Torah is archaic and arcane, outdated. It's not current or contemporary. The Torah is timeless. The first says that the Aron... The Torah tells us that the staves, the poles that carried the Aron, while the poles were removed from other vessels in the Aron, they always remained in. Why were they always in? Many different pshatim, but if Shamshin Fuller says, you know why? To tell us that the Torah, it's ready to travel. It comes with us wherever we may be. In exile, in the diaspora, anywhere in the world, the Torah is not fixed in one spot, in one location. Torah is not only in the base Medrash, it's also in the home. It's not only in Eretz Yisrael, it's also in Chutz Laaretz. It's not only in the Torah informs and inspires us, it's timeless. Everywhere we go at all times. Be'er is Moshe, Torah, Azos, 70 languages. There's no limits. You can't say, look, the Torah spoke to you where you lived. But I'm a millennial. I'm a generation XYZ. I'm a, I live here, you live there. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You can speak in Torah. That's Kol Yisrael, that's exactly it. So it speaks to Kol Yisrael, to Klal Yisrael, wherever we go. We're going to talk about Antishabav. Mirta Shem will be eating in Yerushalayim, Antishabav. We'll be celebrating the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash. But if not, we'll talk about, we'll talk about how Torah, how do we persevere through, through travails? How do we endure through an exile? What gives us the courage and the strength? What gives us the vocabulary and the language to remain as one? It's Torah. It's talking in Torah and talking in learning. It's having 70 languages. No one has an excuse for why Torah can't talk to them. It's an amazing time that we're living in. I don't want to digress too much, but it's an amazing time that we're living in. No one has an excuse. In our own lifetimes, when we were younger, you had an excuse. Everything's in Hebrew. I can't understand the Hebrew so well, I can't study it. I speak Spanish or Portuguese or French or German or Russian. I don't have access to Torah because everything's either in Hebrew or only in English. And we're living at a time, there's more than 70 languages. All the excuses have fallen away. Anyone has access to Torah. Any language, anywhere, thanks to the internet, and any time, 3 a.m., you wake up to do a feeding, you put on a shear. You listen to a sitter snippet, guaranteed to put you back to sleep. <laughs> there's no excuse. 
the 70 languages of Torah anytime, anywhere. There's a machlokis among the Mephoshim. Is it the Yasser Sadibros? Did Moshe repeat the Ten Commandments? Is it the totality of Torah? He repeated it in 70 languages. But to me, again, it's the symbolism of this, of this idea. Good. Weiter. Let's skip. He tells him you're going to inherit the land, you're going to come into the land. Ooh, and when you come into the land, bottom of page 940. I said to you at that time, I cannot carry you alone. I can't carry you alone. Not, not because you just finished a Pesach program, you're so heavy I can't carry you. Spiritually, emotionally, you just complain, you're negative, nothing's good enough, you're cynical, you're critical. I can't do it. In numbers, you're great. This is, he's talking now about, about a system of justice. Hashem has made you grow multifold, and he's blessed you. How can I alone carry your contentiousness, your burdens, your quarrels? How can I alone carry them? And this is all an introduction to say, he doesn't credit explicitly Yisro, but we set up a system of justice. We set up courts, lower courts and higher courts, and a whole leadership structure, a chain of command, an organizational chart, because I needed help in order to be able to raise you. But he introduces it by saying not just it's a problem of numbers, of volume, it's also a problem of volume, that you scream and you yell and you complain, I can't. Eicha, we read this in the tune of Eicha. We read this to the tune of Eicha because it's such a reflection of how difficult the people, the Jewish people are. And Rabbi Soloveitchik said about this uh, Eicha famously, that we have three Eichas in the Torah. We have three times the word Eicha appears. The word Eicha is a synopsis, a main motif, the quintessence of the main question of Tishabav and the Kinos. That's what we ask. So many Kinos begin with the word Eicha, Eicha Asta Apecha. Eicha is, of course, itself the, what we're reading, the book of Eicha. And the same word. Chazal attribute a special significance to the word. The word is used in three well-known places in Tanakh. Once here by Moshe, Eicha Salavadi, and we use the Eicha tune. Once by Yirmiyahu in the, um, in the book of Lamentations, how the city is sat alone, Eicha, the uh, Yashva Badad. And once by the Navi Yeshayahu about Eichva, uh, Eicha became a zona. So Eicha, how is it possible? How is it possible? I'm already confirming by implication that in fact it's an impossible. Eicha represents so much despair, such a complete lack of understanding, I don't even begin to know how it can be possible. But Rabbi said there's a fourth Eicha. There's the three Eichas of Moshe, Yirmiyahu, and Yeshayahu. Eicha, how did this happen? How did this result? How is it possible? How are we here? It's beyond comprehension. It makes no sense. I can't accept it. But there's a fourth Eicha. Anyone know where it appears? We don't pronounce it the same way, but it's the letters Aleph Yud Chaf Hei. Ayaka. It's the Eicha in, in Bereshus of Ayaka, where are you? When God calls out Ayaka, where are you? And he said, if we don't answer the call of Ayaka, then we say Eicha. If we don't answer the call of Ayaka, where are you? Have you shown up? Do you take responsibility? Are you living the life I expect of you? Are you a model for the world? Are you repairing the world? Are you molding and shaping the world and correcting the world? If we don't answer the call of Ayaka, then we're destined to chant and to ask Eicha. So here he says, Eicha. Eicha esalavadi, how can I possibly? Rashi here quotes, look at Rashi. 
says Rashi, Echa Esalavadi. Oh, Pasukid Beis. Im to Imo Melakavas Chala Ucho. Zui Masha Martilachem Lameatman Yomelachem and Piakodish Borhu. And what can I not, I can't do anymore is Tarchachem. Shay Yisrael Tarchanim. Hayachem Emro is Baldino Notzer, but Dinoma Yeshli Dinamat Lavi. Yeshli Rayas Lavi. Most of Anyalechem Dayanim. So, what is this notion of Tarchachem? The first thing that Moshe Rabbeinu can't stand is that they're contentious, they're difficult. Even in a leading legal proceeding, they just try to drag it on. I'll bring more witnesses, I'll bring more evidence, or try to bring more proof, more and more and more. What's Masa Achem? Shayu Apikorsim. Hikta Moshe Latze, Samrama Rabbin Amr Latze, Shema Eno Shafi Beso Beso. Icher Latze, Samrama Rabbin Amr Shalalatis. Matam Svurim. So, you're a burden. Moshe says, uh, the uh, Rashi tells us, they were apikursim. What made them apikursim? Here's what would happen. It's tough being a Jewish leader. All leadership's tough. Jewish leadership is particularly tough. Why? If Moshe left early in the morning, came back late at night, so his neighbors would watch and they'd say, what kind of, what kind of husband is he? What kind of father is he? He's never home. Leaves early, comes back late, he's never home. Must have shalom bias problems. There must be problems in his house. If Moshe Rabbeinu stayed home, went to the office a little late, they'd say, it's lazy, good for nothing. We pay his salary, he doesn't even show up. What kind of rabbi is he? He's probably at home talking Lashon Hara about us, scheming about us, learning, uh, trying to take a little off the top of the discretionary fund on us. Apikursim hayu. I can't bear this burden that instead of being appreciative and instead of constructive feedback and criticism is always welcome, but cynicism and negativity, it's a burden to which Rashi calls that apikorsis. And rivchem malamed shahayu rognim. They were just an impossible, impossible people. So what is this word apikorsim? What does it mean that they were apikorsim? So Rab Nachman of Breslov says something so interesting. So beautiful. Says Rab Nachman, what does it mean apikorsim? So Masa Tarachem was they were contentious. They would fight. They preferred to fight. You know, there's some people they get a thrill. They get some endorphin release from the fight. They love the action. Some good lashon hara, a good fight. What draws people to watch a video or to stand there and observe people fighting? We have a whole sport, billions of dollars around this. People love fighting. They get some endorphin release. So people like to witness or watch a fight. They like to be in a fight. They like to fight. They prolong a fight. And Moshe can't stand that. Masachem is cynicism and you're challenging. So Esther of Nachman of Leslov, I understand Tarchachem is Tarchanem. In other words, you're a tircha on me. You love to fight. I'm constantly mediating fights. You're constantly prolonging fights. It's a tircha, Tarchachem. What does Masachem mean that they were apikorsim? How does burden, what is apikorsis? Who's an apikorus? Not, don't raise your hand. I mean, what is an apikorus? <laughs> and that, what is an apikorus? Epicurean. Epicurean, does apikorus come from the word epicurean, the Greek? An apikorus is a heretic, it's a denier. It's a person who says there is no God. So what does apikorsis have to do with accusing Moshe of staying home, leaving early, shalom bias problems, skimming off the top, what does that have to do with Apikorsis? Says Rav Nachman, Apikorsis yachin masa kaved al shechmo shel ha'odom. Shekein hemin ba'ashem nakelo lismodei b'chomatzav e'lavu nikla. Tamed yodea 
You know, the Apikoros, everything is heavy and weighty. It weighs him or her down. It drags them down. It holds them back. You see, if you have Amuna Bitachon, it's our Wednesday morning shir, living with Amuna. If you have Amuna Bitachon, then you're light and you're free and you fly and you coast through life. Does that mean you have no illness or infertility or financial problems? Or No, of course you have those challenges. But no matter what you confront in life, if you believe that there is a creator and the omnipotent one has providence of our lives, he's involved, he cares, everything is by design, nothing is random or chance, then whatever happens, happens. Whatever's meant to be, happens. I'm never envious. I'm never jealous because you have what you need and I have by definition what I have and what I deserve. I don't fight with you. Because that, that assumes I'm in control. When a Kodesh Baruch is the one who's in control. So you see, if you're a denier, if you're a heretic, if you're an apikoros, everything, tarchachem, it's a masachem, it's a weighty burden, it's heavy. It's heavy to go through life. But if you understand that there's only one, Kodesh Baruch is the one and only. And he designs everything and is involved and orchestrates and curates every aspect of our lives, then it's, it's, liberating. We take away that burden. We take away that burden. This word, Masa'achem, they tell a story of a person driving by in a wagon and there's someone who, who uh, wants a ride and uh, he takes him in the wagon. The wagon driver turns around and he sees that the guy is holding on to his suitcase. In those days they would call it a valise. He's holding on to his bag, a really heavy bag that he's carrying and he's sitting in the wagon, he's having his bag. So the nice wagon driver who gave him the ride said, Put down your bag. So the guy says, listen, it's nice enough to me that you gave me a ride. I feel bad putting down the bag. It's nice enough you gave me a ride. You don't have to give my bag a ride too. So the wagon driver says, look, either way, you and the baggage are in the wagon. You might as well put it down and enjoy the ride. And the same is true in our lives. There's certain baggage that we have to carry through our lives. Challenges and problems that we have. There's baggage that we're given. We can hold on to it and it becomes heavier and heavier, masa'achem, tarchachem, it's a tircha, where you could trust the wagon driver, put it down, and enjoy the ride. That choice is up to us. So says Rav Nachman, what's the pshat apikorsim? What does that have to do with what they were doing? If you believe in the Ribbon Shalom, you're not going to be cynical about your neighbor. You're not going to be envious. You're not going to be quick to anger. You're not going to be, you're not going to be uh, riddled with anxiety. Not the clinical kind, I mean just the Jewish kind. If you believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it gives us the tools to be able to courageously live our lives and know that everything is from Hashem. Apikorsis, the Apikorsis, says Rav Nachman is, because they denied Hashem, now Masachem, all of life, becomes a burden. But I want to share with you a different shot. It's my own, but based on something I heard from Dr. Lamb, I shared it at the Shiva house last night, that perhaps the Apikorsis is the following. Perhaps the Apikorsis is the following. They're looking at Moshe, and they were um, cynical about him. They were suspicious of him. They were spreading gossip about him. They were looking for the worst in him. They were negative about him. When a person does that towards another, they're not just denying the humanity in the other. What else are they denying? The godliness in the other person. See, every one of us is a Tzalem Elokim, a Kaddish Baruch who didn't just create us, Kodesh Baruch Hu finds expression in this world through us. The insight I heard from Dr. Lamb, so sein gesund and stark, you should be well, is that 
Kaddish is the tefillah of mourning. And yet if you look at the words of Kaddish, there's no reference to death, there's no reference to mourning. So why is Kaddish associated with mourning? And he suggested, every one of us is a unique, singular expression of Hashem in this world. Our personality, our traits, our skills, our talents, who we are is a way that Hashem expresses Himself in this world. When we relate to others, if we are living our best selves, they're not only relating to us, but through us, they are experiencing godliness. We are His angels, we are His messengers, we are His representatives in this world. And when a human being dies, when a person leaves this world, then there's a vacuum which has been created. A piece of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, a unique expression of the Almighty, no longer exists. And so what do we hope for? What do we daven? What do we ask? Yiskadel v'yiskadesh, Shmei Rabbah. That Hashem's great name, Yiskadel, should be made great once again. Kaddish Baruch Hu himself, Kiviyachol, becomes diminished in how we perceive him when someone leaves this world. And so we daven that Hashem shouldn't be diminished, it should grow great once again. So I want to suggest, based on that insight, you know what the apikursus is that Rashi is referencing? Tarchacham, when they accuse Moshe, when you falsely accuse, when you are suspicious, when you're negative, when you negate, when you judge, when you criticize, when you marginalize, when you neglect, when we mistreat other people, we're not just denying their humanity, but we're denying and mistreating their godliness. And that's apikursus. To deny that every person is worthy of the benefit of the doubt, to deny that every person has a goodness and innate goodness, to deny that somewhere, for some on the surface and others buried deep below, but for everyone, somewhere inside them is godliness, to deny the godliness in another is itself an expression and an act of apikursus, and maybe that's what, maybe that's what the Torah means. Okay, let's go a little bit weiter. A little bit weiter. The uh, parsha continues. Oh, so with this introduction is this. Moshe says, I have to identify wise, smart people who will serve as your heads. And you answered me. Good, we're in. Sounds like a plan. Org chart. We're in. So we put it into place. We appointed all of these, all of these people, and we put this structure. And then I directed them. Listen, and you should, you should adjudicate to a righteous conclusion. Don't accept bravery. We gave a whole. Uh, two or three part series on Protexia, on Shavuos, about Protexia and bribery. The scandals that we had with the colleges, you're about the news cycle so fast, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But you remember earlier this year, the big scandal, that college university officials were accepting bribes to let people in. So we analyzed that from a halachic standpoint because the exact same thing happens in the Jewish community. If you make the right donation to the yeshiva, then your kid gets in. If you don't, then they're on a waiting list. If you make the right donation, you know the right people, the right protectia, your great-grandmother can make it into the assisted living facility. If you don't, you're number 4,022 on the list. So protectia in Hashkafa and Halacha, we went through a lot of tshuvas. And this issue of bribery, lo sakiru panem ba mishpat, kakaton kagadol tishmon lo sagurum neish, kya mishpat lelohimhu, vadavar asher yikshem ikem takriva nelayu shmativ. Moshe Rabbeinu says, you can't show favor. Imagine a basin is sitting, and in their lobby, 
you have two billionaires who are in the middle of a fight over a hundred million dollar uh, battle, and then you have two other people who are fighting over the dollar that got stuck in the candy machine. So you're tempted to say, who do we want to hear first? The people in the custom-made suits who came, flew in on their private jet for us to hear their case about the hundred million dollars. But you can't. Kakaton kagado. You have to listen to every case in the order that it comes. You can't hear one litigant without the other. You're not allowed to. The head of a basement receives a phone call, has to say, I can't listen until the other litigant is present. And how far do you have to go with this? Says the Pasuk, Lo sagurum deish. Don't be afraid of anyone. The Gemara has all discussion in Masachas Sanhedrin. Do you have to risk your life? Let's say somebody says, are you allowed to avoid being on a basin because you're afraid that if you come to the wrong conclusion, that person's going to order a hit? Losaguru ish. You're not allowed to be afraid. And Moshe says, anything too tough, bring to me. And so I told you all of these things, all of these rules. And Rabbi Soloveitchik points out that the first chapter of the book of Dvarim details the march towards conquering the land of Eretz Israel. And in this pasuk, all of a sudden, in this section, this section about justice and jurisprudence and uh, righteousness, the theme abruptly changes to a conversation that took place between Moshe and Israel about judges and an institution of a system of justice. In this pasuk, Moshe asked the people for recommendations who would be the most appropriate candidates for judgeship. He later gave the newly appointed judges instructions, right, like we just reviewed, the order that you have to hear and don't be afraid and how to conduct a trial. And then he goes back to, we're going into Israel. What's going on over here? Why is Moshe interrupting? Elad Varim, these are the words. He's standing in the mountain, he points. You see there, it's Eretz Israel. That's where we're going, that's where the destination. It's the end of his life. It's the end of the 40-year journey. We're missing 38 years in the middle. We won't get to it. Rabbi Soloveitchik addresses it. We have the first two years, and here we are in the last year, and what happened in the 38 years in the middle? We mistakenly think that Sefer Bamidbar, or Chumash, is equally spread over the 40 years. It's not. It's weighted to the very beginning and to the very end, and we have a mysterious gap of 38 years of what was going on and what was it like and so on. Not for now, another time. But they're standing on the precipice. They're about to go in. Moshe's pointing. He's instructing them. He's inspiring them. He's motivating them. And he's telling them, you're, you, you inherited this land. You're going to go into this land. From here is the whole question of the sources and a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael. Is Yeshiva Saaretz. Where's the Pasuk? The Ramban, the Rambam, the whole discussion. So it's all about going into Israel. And Moshe interrupts. By the way... We set up a system of justice. We need judges. Who do you recommend? This is who we chose. And says Rabbi Soloveitchik, what's it doing here? Why are we interrupting with this? So the Slonim Rebbe was bothered by the same question in his Nesiva Shalom. The Slonim Rebbe offers the following very beautiful insight. It's an insight you've heard before, but maybe not applied in this context. We all know this insight in the beginning of, of Parsha Shoftim. What's this doing here at the beginning of Dvarim? Choosing judges, setting up justice and courts, what's it doing here? Moshe says, prepare for yourselves. Prepare for yourselves? You go into the voting booth and you're voting on the judges? What was Moshe telling them? Prepare for yourselves, judges. So why now? What do you mean you should prepare for yourselves? 
What's going on? So says the Slanim Rebbe, Kol mitzvah mesugel slanim yuchar, mitzvah minu ha-shoftim mesugel sazash yudhi yadayim v'shofet al-atzmo. This is talking not just about the system of, judge, of justice within each city and each town, each province, each state. It's not just talking about the hierarchy of a system of justice outside ourselves. Ultimately, it's talking to us, El Kol Yisrael, about being judges and justices and policemen over ourselves. On the fights that happen in our gates. Where are our gates? So Rav Chaim Vital famously said, on the Pasuk, Shoftim V'Shotrim, Titei M'cha B'chol Sha'arecha, it's Balashin Yachid, it's in the singular, not the plural. Where are the policemen? Where are the guards that we put at all of our gates? Where are the gates? Our ears, our mouth. It's the gates into our soul, the gates into our heart, are through our senses. And that we need to place guards and policemen. And we need to have Shoftim, we need to have judges who will help us have good judgment. And that's why it's written Balashin Yachid. Because we're not just talking about the gates of the city or the judges of the city. We're talking ultimately about our own neshamas, how to live mindful and meaningful lives, how to be vigilant and responsible and conscientious over our own conduct, our thought and our speech and our actions, how to regulate ourselves and how to hold ourselves accountable and how to have good judgment. And that's why we need to be for ourselves. It's for us, says the Slanimer. And what do we need to be? Chachamim, nevonim, v'yiduim. These three qualities, Chachma, Bina, and Das, Chabad. Chachma, Bina, and Das. We saw it earlier when Moshe is choosing the judges and it's repeated here. Chachamim, nevonim, v'yiduim is Chachma, Bina, and Das. We need all three of these qualities, the difference between the three we've covered in the past, not for now. And that's what the Salonimer says. That's why this appears here in the beginning of Mishnah Torah. That we have to step up and take care of ourselves, regulate ourselves, have good judgment for ourselves, and that's why it appears here, that's why this interruption. That's his perspective. Rabbi Salavechik, coming back, he was the one who asked the original question. Rabbi Salavechik has a different response. And this is so important in general, particularly important in the nine days, and as we're counting down to Tisha B'Av. Said Rabbi Salavechik, Moshe interrupts this narrative with a seemingly tangential point because the prerequisite to enter the land of Israel is an institution of a perfect system of justice. The sequence provides the blueprint for the coming of Mashiach as well. And the historical precedent is the rationale for the sequence of the brachas in Shemona Esrei. Tell it to you outside. What the Rav says, it's a tradition that we have, is that if we want redemption, you want to go into Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael is where we're meant to build the base of Mikdash, Hashras, Hashchina, and Kurbanos. But you know what the prerequisite to a religious life is? A just and righteous life. A moral and ethical life. That's not to say as many tragically say, what does it matter if I keep Shabbos or keep kosher? I'm a good person. All that matters, I'm honest and I'm good and I'm kind. We don't believe that. Of course, of course, all those other things matter and we're responsible for them. But you also have the other extreme. How many people put on Rabbeinu Tam Tefillin and shuckle the hardest and at business they're ruthless, they cut corners, they cheat, they steal. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And the prerequisite to Geula, to redemption, 
the prerequisite, Tashras Hashchina Karbanos and Abes Mikdash, even before that is righteousness, justice, honesty, and integrity. And says Rabbi Soloveitchik, that's why we're interrupting Moshe says we're about to go into Israel. But you know what must precede building a Beis Mikdash? Before we can build a holy structure and engage in holy activity, we have to be holy. And how are we holy? Through holy honesty and integrity and justice. And said the Rav so beautifully, where else do you see this? In the sequence of the brachos that we recite three times a day in Shemona Esrei in the Amida. After initially speaking about our individual needs, Slach Lanu, forgive me, Rufa'enu, give me good health, Baruch let the stock market go up and rebound from yesterday. After that, the Shemona Esrei then comes to Klai Yisrael's communal redemption. And what do we say? Gather us all together. And then, what would I have thought should come next? Gather us together. What should come after gather us together? What should come next? Gather us together and bring us to Yerushalayim. Build the Beis HaMikdash. Let's restart Karbanos. Let's build the Beis HaMikdash. Tzemach David is the redemption, the redemptive, the eschatological era. Let David HaMelech, let Mashiach come. But what do we do? As soon as we mention Tkabashofar Gadol, as soon as we mention our yearning and longing to return to the land, to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash, before we can get to Beis HaMikdash, what do we have to say first? Hashiva Shoftenu Kivarishona. Melech ohev staka u mishpat. Kaddish Baruch Hu, we acknowledge you loved staka u mishpat. Not just the giving of staka, the practice of righteousness. You love justice and righteousness, honesty, integrity. So first we say we want to go back to Kabbalah Shofar. We want for you Shalayim and Estzemach. How do we get there? Through Hashiva Shoftenik Vishana. Through Melech ohev staka u mishpat. So the interruption of the narrative here. Is in, fact, is in fact a formula and prescription for how we get back, which is what we so desperately want. I'll end by sharing with you, as I've done throughout my life, rip off from my younger brother who's much smarter than myself. He gave the Chabura here this past Shabbos. He gave a wonderful Chabura. And these sources come from the Chabura he gave. Borrowed, plagiarized, like so much of my life, from my brother. So, from my youth, I should say, from my brother. The Pasuk in Mishlei Chaf Aleph says, Asot mishpat nivcha l'ashem mizevach. If you think what I'm saying is like, you know, it could be giving in, in a, this could be a sermon in some other denomination's services. More important than sacrifices is righteousness. We have to, you know, be a light unto the nations and we have to, it, this is what we believe. We also just believe in the second part of where we're going and why we're going there and our obligation to do it. But Shlomo Amalek, Mishle, Asot Staku Mishpat, you need to practice righteousness and justice. Nivchar, it is more chosen, it's more beloved to Hashem, Mizevach, than Karbonos. The Karbonos, the Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin, the shuckling, the Tehillim zugging, the outfrumming the person next to you is all counterfeit. It's inauthentic, it's empty. It means nothing to Hashem if it's not predicated on Staku Mishpat. Staka and Mishpat are more nivchar mizevach, are greater than frumkai. Oh, so I don't have to be from, I just have to be good and honest. No, of course not. Chas v'shalom. I want to be very clear, that's why I keep repeating that. If you give staka, you do staka, 
You stand up for the underprivileged, you defend the vulnerable, you protect righteousness, you conduct yourself with integrity. It's greater than all the karbanos. We long for karbanos, and in its place right now we have davening. And davening is critically important. You all know how, how much that means to me, how much I speak about it, try to teach about it. But even more important than all that, just sharing some of his sources, there are many more. Devaram Rabbah, the Medrash and Devaram Rabbah says, It doesn't say if you do righteousness and justice, if you're honest, it's as if you brought a korban. It says, it's greater than a korban. How could that be? The answer is, Because korbanos could only be brought in the base of Mikdash. The karbanos could only atone for a person who did something by accident. But if you're righteous and you're good, then it can atone even for a person who makes it, who does something b'mezid, who does something on purpose. Once Pamachas Avas Rabbi Nasan, Rabbi Yochanan Medzaka is leaving Yerushalayim. Rabbi Yeshua is walking after him. He sees the base of Mikdash is in flames, is destroyed. Rabbi Yeshua cries out. He looks and he's broken and he says, This holy base on Mikdash, it's destroyed. So Amar Lai, he said, Rabbi Yechon Medzaka says to him, Don't worry, Yishlonu Kapara Achashi Kamosa. Don't look. You thought the only way to connect to Hashem is through that base on Mikdash. You're crying because it's destroyed. You know, we have another means, another channel, another way to connect to Him. You know what that is? Chesed, Staka, Umishpat. Again, there are many more sources. I'll just share one more with you. Yushalayim binyan arisham de macharva, the Tosefta in Menachos. Why was Yushalayim destroyed? The binyan beis amikdash? The beis amikdash? Neavodazar gilerash shrikas domim. Aval baachronim akira nana bahem shem amelim batoru zirim b'maisros neimagalu. Okay, so it was destroyed. But in the end, we see that they were learning Torah. They had more bate medrash, more kolim, more Torah learning. They were careful with Meister, with everything. So why were they exiled? Listen to Tosefta. They loved their money more than they loved other people. And so they cut corners and they took advantage and they misrepresented and they distorted things and they were dishonest because they loved their money. If we want Pesach Mikdash, if we want Mashiach to come, if we want this anti-Semitism to end, the hate to end, and we long for an era of peace, then the Navi tells us how to get there. Yeshayahu. Tzion b'mishpat tipadeh v'shavea b'tztaka. It's b'mishpat and b'tztaka is how we get back. Yes, with davening with all of our intent. And yes, with learning Torah. And yes, with being vigilant in Hilcha Shabbos and Hilcha's Kashras and Hilcha's Brachas. Yes, in all of that. But the prerequisite, and that's what the Torah is telling us by interrupting the narrative. The prerequisite to getting there, you can't get to Yushalayim and Estzemach if you're not Ohev Staka Umishpat, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, have a great week.